glory to God. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, some hard-fought battles yesterday on the football field. And uh, it's not often that those of us who are Razorback fans and Hurricane fans and Sooner fans just say, good job, OSU. And we're grateful to have one winner in the bunch. Uh, uh, of all the teams that, that we support. And, and today I want to remind you what we talked about last week, okay? And, and uh, we talked about this thing called the tabernacle for six weeks, and then I mentioned it again uh, last week. And the tabernacle is the perfect picture of who you are in Christ, because it's also a picture of who God is, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's three in one. And, and there are three places, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And, and uh, the Psalms, remember what the Psalms say, that we enter enter his gates with praise, and then we enter his courts with thanksgiving. Now, don't forget that, right? Praise all things. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, right? So you don't even have to be a believer uh, to, to praise the Lord. Everything that has breath is going to praise the Lord, right? In fact, Jesus declared, if they stop, if these children stop, the rocks will cry out. Let everything that has breath say it praise the Lord. So we enter in the gates with praise, but we come into the courts with thanksgiving. There's another level. Uh, 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 praise is one level. Thanksgiving is a whole another level, right? And, and so we enter the courts, which is the place of sacrifice, and, and then you go further into this holy place. And finally, listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that we have access to the very holy of holies because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, the whole idea idea of spiritual warfare that we're talking about uh, today uh, begins here. We've worked our way all the way in, and now we're working our way all the way back out, okay? And, and so, remember what we said, that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. That's who you are, Right? And when salvation happens, it happens here, right? In your spirit. In your spirit, it's who you are, right? That's who you are. You are a spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell uh, within you. You are saved here. Now watch this. You are saved here. Have been saved here. You are being saved here here, and you will be saved one day here with a glorified body. That is what God is doing in and through you. And and so if you understand the tabernacle, you not only understand who you are in Christ, but you begin to understand this battle and and this war. You begin to see the strategy of your enemy. And that's where I want to focus today on on the enemy's strategy. And I want to make you aware of of the seriousness of, of this thing that we are fighting and we are fighting in because you and I live in a world at war. And I'm not talking about a literal or a physical war. I'm talking about a war between light and dark. I'm talking about a war between good and evil. And, and there are clearly marked battle lines, whether you see them or not. In fact, it's all over the Gospels, okay? And so th- this is not something that some weird group talks about is it, spiritual warfare. That's what the enemy has done with this subject, it, is, is make it some weird group that's talking about it so that you and I walk away from it. Jesus himself had direct confrontation with the demonic in in 34 chapters of the Gospels. He used the word evil 199 times. He talked about the demonic and the devil and Satan the same amount of times, 199 times. You say, well, put that in perspective. He mentioned the word grace 
134 times. In other words, this battle is not something that he put on the back burner. This is something that Jesus was always consistent about, and he wanted us to know about. In fact, there's a story over in 2 Kings, if you got your Bible, turn there, okay? In 2 Kings, uh, where uh, uh, the king of Aram hated the prophet Elisha, and he wanted to kill Elisha, and so he sent some soldiers to where he was. And the next day, Elisha's servant wakes up, and he sees the enemy. In fact, let me read it to you, 2 Kings, uh, in chapter 6. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Now, now watch this because the fact is Elisha didn't choose this conflict. Don't miss that point. He didn't choose it. His servant did not enlist for this battle. It just happened. But Elisha, as we're going to see, was already aware of the spiritual forces that are at work. Now, look at what he says to his servant. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. In other words, Elisha could see both sides. He knew about both kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. He knew that his side, the kingdom of light was stronger, but listen, that did not mean that the other side was not there and that the other side was not present. Look look at where he continues in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, which is a good thing to do in that moment, right? He prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him say it, see. The the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. By the way, this is one of the spots in in Israel that is X marks the spot. In, In fact, it's one of those moments where you're standing in that valley, and you begin to read the Scripture, and you read about the hills to the north, and you look, there they are. You read about the brook to the south, and there it is. And you read about all of this, and your eyes just go, wow, that that I am standing in the spot where this battle took place. Place, no doubt about it. The Bible is so descriptive about what is to every direction in that moment. That's why it's so, such a big deal, by the way, for, for you to travel sometimes when you can, because we're such a visual generation. And when you go see these places and watch what happens that, that with your own eyes, now you read this text, your mind can't help but think about it. Every time I read this text now, I think about being in that spot with my feet on that dirt, getting on my knees in that brook and begin to pray and ask God that same thing that you did in that day, would you do in this day. And my prayer is that your eyes would be opened. And over the next few weeks, I want you to join me as we search the scriptures. And we're going to look at a lot of verses and a lot of chapters. And we're going to dive deep into this whole area and arena of spiritual warfare. Not because I think it's cool. And not because I I, I hope it'll draw a crowd, but because I want you to see clearly. And more than that, I want you to live victoriously. And I believe with all of my heart that God has asked me to help you see and to help you understand the true reality of warfare that is all around us and to, to continually walk in the victory that belongs to you. As a child of the Most High God, and the problem in our culture used to be that people didn't believe in the, in the supernatural. And when I say supernatural, I'm not talking about things that are not real. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about something that supersedes 
that which we can perceive naturally. And another way of saying supernatural is the spiritual. And, and you see more and more today people getting used to that. But, but uh, what, what people today have a hard time with is the, is the term evil. That they don't like the idea of tagging someone or something as evil. Instead, they want to point to some psychological or some sociological cause. The Enlightenment has nearly convinced the whole world that everything has a natural cause, everything. That you can explain away just about anything with science, but where science has not yet been able to go is the supernatural. We have telescopes today that will allow us to see hundreds of thousands of millions of miles into the deep, deep space and into other galaxies. We have sensitive instruments that can help us detect the slightest movement in the Earth's crust. We have vessels that can go down, 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 down to the bottom of the deepest ocean trenches. But what we have not yet been able to see with our scientific eyes is the supernatural or the spiritual. Jesus is recorded in the Gospels as saying more than any other phrase that he said, give them eyes to see. Because he knew that there is a spiritual nature to everything in life. There is a supernatural cause to to what you and I go through every day. And the Bible is very clear. In fact, just look at these verses, uh, if you would, a couple of different books, Colossians, which by the way, we're going to do Colossians next. So read Colossians, start reading Colossians uh, even now so that you're getting your spirit ready for what God wants to teach you in in a couple of weeks. For through him, who is him? Let's pretend like we read the Bible before. (laughs) The answer is Jesus. So when I say who is him, that's going to be the answer. Okay. So say it with great confidence for through him, who is him? Jesus Christ, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Now watch what he says. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. So he didn't make something that we can't see if there's nothing that we can't see that is actually real. Are you following the logic behind this verse? Look at what Paul says in Galatians. This is before we were in Christ, by the way. We were like children who were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. He's trying to indicate this is a real thing. But everything in life, everything in the world has a spiritual cause. From the very beginning, it was the Holy Spirit, right, that created all things. And even the evil has a supernatural or spiritual cause as well. To believe otherwise, church, is not just naive. It's dangerous. And and here's why this is important and why we're spending so much time on this. If there is a, now watch the logic. If there is a spiritual cause behind everything, including evil, then the solution to the problem of evil must be spiritual as well. And that means that we have access to the solution as the children of God. And and I want to suggest to you then that it matters. That the spiritual warfare matters, that the spiritual, both evil and good, has more of an effect on you than you ever realized. And along with Elisha, I'm praying, and Jesus, I'm praying that your eyes will be open, that my eyes will be open. And here's what you need to know, short and sweet. Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. And then later in chapter 6, Paul reminds us we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're we're fighting against evil rulers that are at work in the world today. These are not spiritual principles that are only at work at the church. 
These are not spiritual matters that you only need to pay attention to in your community group or in your quiet time. These forces are working 24-7 to take you down. So you need to be equipped 24-7 to do battle. Again, you didn't choose this. I know that. You didn't enlist in this. I know that. But we are here, right? And this is the reality. And we have to fight back. We have to resist. So so let's take a look at, at a scripture today, Revelation, all the way to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 12. This chapter, more than any other chapter in the whole Bible, gives a clear picture of who Satan is, where he came from, and what it is that he wants. And if we went line by line, verse by verse, scripture by scripture through this one chapter, it would take months And so go home and study it, okay? And and study it for yourself. But basically, Revelation 12, we talked about this last Christmas. Revelation 12 is the Christmas story told through the perspective uh, or the lens uh, of the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. And in the middle, you, you, you have Satan fighting against Jesus, and he can't take Jesus out. So what he does is turn his focus towards us. Let, let, let's, let's read it together. Uh, verse 7, Revelation 12. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and, and his angels. Now, who is the dragon? Pretend like you read the Bible before. Verse 9 says it's Satan. And it also calls him the ancient serpent. That means from Genesis 3. That's what the Bible is trying to say. By the way, that's the biblical basis for Satan being at war with us since creation. Okay? And look at what it says, verse 8. And the dragon, say it. Lost. He lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. So there was a battle in heaven, and Satan, say it lost. He lost. God kicked him out along with a third of the angels in heaven. Jesus himself talks about this. You want to reference Luke chapter 10, I think verse 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What is he talking about? Okay. He's referring to something that the prophets wrote about Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. And those two passages uh, uh, are actually about earthly kings. Okay. Okay, so don't miss that. This is what people argue. Well, this is about earthly kings. It is, and it isn't. Okay? Isaiah is referring to the king of Babylon. Ezekiel is referring to the king of Tyre. But remember what we said. There is a spiritual cause for everything. There is a supernatural behind, above, and all around the natural. And so these two earthly kings have been influenced by Satan. The passages themselves talk about Satan. Okay? So let's go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, and look at what the prophet writes. He says, how have you fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer, this is the text where that title comes from. You and I hear the name Lucifer and our skin kind of crawls. But Lucifer means, oh, shining star. That's what it means. And Ezekiel 28 says he's the model of perfection, exquisite in beauty. The New Testament says the same thing. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he was attractive and probably still is, right? And so we get the idea in our head that Satan is some deformed goat beast. That, that, that he has horns and, and, and a tail and carries around a pitchfork. But, but he's not some Stranger Things horror show. He's not Vecna. He's beautiful. 
and, and he looks like an angel of light, or at least he shows up and disguises himself that way. The, the point is this, is if you're looking for something scary, you may completely miss the influence of Satan in your life. You, you, you'll be playing around with something that you think is nice and clean, but on the inside is filled with filth and evil because you're looking for the wrong thing and, and you're looking for the spooky, but Satan likes to show up as something friendly and cute and, and beautiful. And if that's the case, can I just say to you, you may be playing with fire and allowing things into your life that will actually give the enemy a foothold. And if you continue down that path, it, it, it could be something that creates a stronghold in your life. And the only way to properly combat the enemy is to know who he is. So Lucifer was given authority and power in heaven. He was one of the chief heavenly beings. But, but what happened there? So let's keep going. Isaiah 14 to the story of what happened to Satan. In verse 12, uh, look, look at what he says. You have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Satan was not content with the place that he held in God's heaven. He wanted more. He became envious and became greedy and attempted a coup. He tempted a group of angels in heaven to follow him, and he staged a rebellion. And how is it that God met that rebellion? Look, look, look at verse uh, 15. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. So now, go back to Revelation 12, and let's pick up with the rest of the story from the beginning of time to the end of time. Revelation 12, verse 13. Then the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. That's Mary. I'm afraid to ask you. That's Mary, okay? <laughs> Jesus' mother. I like to feel good about my teaching ability, so I'm not going to ask you. That's Mary. In fact, let me ask you, who is that woman? Mary. That's Jesus' mother. Remember how they had to flee to Egypt uh, so, so that, uh, that, that he couldn't get Jesus? By the way, we're going to deal with that story in Christmas this year because the untold stories of Christmas we're going to talk about. But he turns his anger to us now. And in verse 17, and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. And all you have to do is listen to Jesus in John 10, 10, when he says that Satan wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And by the way, that's not what he says. What he says is he only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So he has set his sights on you. He chose you. He picked this fight, and now he's picking on you. But, but how? So think about that for a second. How? Satan is not uh, omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. And, and, and those are two fancy words for all-powerful and, and ever-present. He's not those things. But God is. God is those things. He's all-powerful, and he's everywhere all of the time. Satan is a finite being. There's only one of him and eight billion of us on planet Earth. So how is he waging war uh, against 
us. Now, Ephesians 6 tells us the whole strategy. If you got your Bible, flip back to Ephesians 6 from Revelation. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I referenced this a moment ago. But we against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, don't misinterpret this. I used to, as if these were all synonyms one for another. They're not. He's not repeating himself over and over again. He's explaining the whole hierarchy. And they are not the same. They are different categories with different roles. And so let me just walk you through it, if I could. The first group that he mentions here is rulers. The rulers. Now, I'm not going to give you the Greek word for each of these today because it doesn't really matter. But you know that the English translations have different words that they translate for each of these things. But regardless of what English does with it, there's only one Greek word for each of these categories, okay, in the Greek text. And so the word rulers, in Greek it means anyone who leads another. Simple as that, okay? The next group is the authorities, okay? The authorities. That sounds the same as rulers, doesn't it? But it's not. This is the Greek word for freedom, meaning and and trying to indicate to us that these authorities can act on their own. They have been let loose. Now, the, the next group that he talks about is the cosmic powers. The cosmic powers. That word actually shows up all over the place in the New Testament, all over the place. Acts chapter 26, verse 18 where Paul is teaching, and he's talking about those who have been rescued from the powers of Satan. How? By the powers of God. Colossians chapter 1, he talks about the kingdom of darkness headed by Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, he, he, he talks about the devil being the power of this world and blinding people. In other words, the cosmic powers are, 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 and the present darkness that comes from Satan. That's the whole point, okay? So here, here's the next one, the, the spiritual forces of evil. By the way, when it says in the heavenly places, that's not talking about outer space, okay? It, that, that means they are active behind the scenes, above you, around you, behind you, underneath you, in another dimension that you cannot see but does affect you. And, and, and then he says these spiritual forces, listen, they, they're, these are the foot soldiers. They're used to create chaos. They are the evil at work in the world around us today. And so here you have it, this hierarchy, okay? And, and Paul's making it very clear from the top down. Now watch this. You have Satan at the, at the very top, okay? That's very clear in, in the scripture. And then you have under him rulers who strategize and plan. And under them, you have authorities who have been let loose throughout the world today. And they divide the world up into territories and regions. And the regions are overseen by cosmic powers. In Daniel chapter 10, we encounter one of these, the prince of Persia, right? Remember that story? The prince of Persia. Finally, you have the frontline soldiers, which are the spiritual forces of evil. So, so what do we call them? Do we call them powers or forces or spirits or angels or demons? It doesn't really matter because no matter what you call them or what their role is, their strategy is always the same. It's from their leader, Satan. And what does he want to do? Jesus told us, steal, kill, and and destroy, right? Only, only that. 
And so there's the org chart that he uses to do those three things. So, so let's dig a little deeper. Because Jesus encountered these forces, these evil spirits, these demonic uh, beings several times in, in the Gospels. And one of those times he tells us a lot about them, actually. Luke chapter 11. Flip over to the Gospel. And I know I'm moving all throughout the Bible, but the point is, you ought to see clearly, this is all throughout the whole Bible, right? It's the theme of the Scripture. L- L- Luke chapter 11. Look at it. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person that I came from. Verse 25. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And and so that person is worse off than before. Now in this scripture, he gives us five characteristics of the demonic. And I'm just going to show you how I write in my Bible. Okay. Uh, Because I, I think you need to learn to write in your Bible so that when you come back, around to it again, you see what God was doing in your life, what God was teaching you before. You you need to write into it. In fact, what I would say to you is uh, you you can use an app. If you'll use an app and write in it and save it. Uh, But but if not, use a paper Bible and and have it with you day by day. Bring it with you to church. Write in it. That's the sword. You got to have a sword. Some of you have the Holy Spirit, but you haven't given the Holy Spirit a sword in your life. And he's not going to fight for you without you giving him a sword. That's you taking the word of God into your heart, into your mind, and on your lips, so that at a moment's notice, you have given the Holy Spirit a sword in your life. And some of you are showing up to a gunfight with a knife. And and you need the gun. You need the word of God in your life. So here are five characteristics of the demonic that the scripture paints out clearly to us out of the mouth of Jesus. Things that you may not know or you may not realize and you should know. And your eyes should be open to it and so that you could be aware of it and awake to the devil's schemes in your life. Second Corinthians, Paul tells us we should be aware of the enemy's scheme. First Peter 5, 8 tells us that we need to stay alert, 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 say alert. Now, let's look at this passage, and and, and when you read this passage, you're going to go, huh, it's as if the Bible wants me to know something. It's as if God wanted his children to be prepared for something. Now, now look at what he says in in this passage. Let me back up. When an evil spirit leaves a person. Now, here's what I wrote in my Bible. They can move from person to person. Are you you paying attention to what he's trying to teach us? They can move from person to person. I hear people from time to time, and I've heard it in the last two weeks, say Christians don't need spiritual warfare because Christians cannot be demon-possessed. I I, I just want to love you. Okay, because there's a real temptation for me to get in the flesh on this subject. And the enemy doesn't want me. I mean, the Lord doesn't want me in the flesh. The enemy wants me in the flesh when I talk about this. But I want to lovingly tell you in the spirit, there's no biblical basis for that argument. Zero. Zero, zero basis for that argument. And others will go, well, it's possession. It's not possession. It's oppression. And and possession happens in you and oppression happens around you. So there's probably a difference to those two things. Look, every believer is going to face the fiery darts, okay? I I call that oppression. We're all going to deal with it. It's a nuisance to all of our lives. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking about this goes beyond the fiery darts to, to a specified attack in and on your life. And here's the truth. The Bible doesn't use the word possession when it comes to demons or oppression when it comes 
comes to demons. It uses a Greek word called demonized. And it doesn't use a preposition. It doesn't tell us is the demon in, on, around, behind, beneath. Is it running around like, like your pig fin and Charlie Brown? I said that in a meeting this week, and uh, one of our young ladies in there is like, I don't know what you're talking about. But, 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 but I, the, how many of you don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about Charlie Brown? Brittany, you're the only one in the whole church. And, and, and so, look, look. The Bible doesn't use that word. It doesn't use a preposition. It doesn't matter if the enemy is attacking you, there has, or how, there has to be a removal. And, and so well, here's what I say. Okay, I don't dive in all, all of this down deep and hang out in the sewer. I don't want to hang out in the sewer. But, but what I want to say to you, if the demon is in you, get it out. If the demon is on you, get it off. If it's stuck to you like a leech, then, then get it off of you, okay? Because they can move around. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Look at the next one. Uh, it goes into the desert, searching for rest. Here, here, here's what I wrote down. They have individual independence. In other words, you have to deal with them immediately and individually. Jesus does not give us blanket control over them because he has given them some form of independence. So when you sense or feel or find a demonic attack or a stronghold in your life, deal with it. Deal with it. Now look at what he goes on to say. That I will return to the person I came from. Here, here's what I wrote down. They can remember and make plans. Jesus says they come up with their own plans. They have a memory, and they will use that memory against you. By the way, they have an endurance that's longer than you have ever been alive. And they have that. Now watch this. The Spirit finds seven other spirits. Here's what I wrote down. They can combine forces. They will gain up on you, and they will call in reinforcements, and listen, they will find each other. Some of you are raising a kid who seems to always bring in a boy that looks like something the cat drug in. And you're like, what is wrong with her? Why is that always the case? I'm telling you there's an attack on her life. And that attacker on her life is attracted to the attackers on those boys' lives. And if we put 10,000 people in this room with no chairs, and we let her come in that back door, and we let that guy come in that back door, and just say, mingle for 10 minutes, they will find each other. I promise you. Why? It is an attack. And you have to see it for what it is. It is an attack. And the enemy is trying to take your daughter out. And it is time for you to stand up and do the warfare. Take her to a counselor if you want to. Get her on a prescription if you want to. Do what needs to be done. But there is a time you got to wake up and do spiritual battle for your children. Amen. And see it for what it is. Now, the Bible is so clear about this. Look, look, look at this next one. Other spirits more evil than itself. Here, here's what I wrote down. They vary in degrees of wickedness. In other words, they have different powers and different levels of power. And when you grow in your life, let me give you a guarantee. You'll face a higher degree of resistance from the enemy. Guaranteed. You, you will encounter those types of powers and evil spirits. Yes, absolutely you will. We, we live in this wicked world and we live in these evil times, so it is important to wake up and stay awake, to stay alert and to stay aware. What, what is it that's really going on uh, uh, around you? And week in and week out, 
usually me, but not always me, somebody in the content meeting will come back to this as we're working through content and try to narrow down, you know, 40 pages to four for for a message. Here's the questions we ask. I have them framed in my office next to my computer. God, what do you want your people to know and why? God, what do you want your people to do and why? God, what do you want your people to feel and why? And here's what we discovered. If it's dusty in the pulpit, it's going to be really muddy out here, right? And so we got to be clear. And if I can't answer those three questions when I step on the stage, I'm not actually ready to be the Lord's representative and what he wants to say through his word. But, but look, I know this. And some of you are saying, I, I, I thought we were going somewhere different. Look, this sermon's a whole lot more of the know than it is the do. Next two weeks are a whole lot more do. But I need you to know some things so that you can hang with us as, as we go do the do things, right? And, and, and if you only hear these first two sermons in this series, then you'll know a lot about the nature of the supernatural and the status of spiritual warfare. But, but you need to know that's half the battle. Knowing is half the battle, right? But, but knowing God is more than just learning about him. It's about getting close to him. It's about experiencing intimacy with him. Remember the tabernacle? It's about going into the very presence, into the holy of holies. So so part of the plan of spiritual warfare is knowing intimately and closely. Sometimes we just want to throw our hands up and say, why are you picking on me, right? We have to ask that question. Why is the enemy picking on us? because we're precious to God. I read it to you earlier. Because God loves you so much. And when do you realize that, this will begin to make a whole lot more sense for you. That the very reason you get attacked is also the way you resist. By leaning into an intimate relationship with God, knowing who God is, knowing what it is He's done for you, knowing who you are in Christ. And then you can begin to resist until you get that done in your life. You cannot begin resisting until uh, you start renewing your mind by finding out who you are in Christ. And that's where we'll go the the next couple of weeks, okay? So let, let, let me just pray over you lead you in a prayer, and then conclude by praying over you uh, uh, again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and open your hearts? Lord Jesus, everyone here who has accepted you, who has put their trust in you, they have been rescued by you. They're out of the kingdom of evil. They're in the kingdom of the Father. The enemy has no real claim on their life anymore. The devil is defeated. He's a defeated foe, but he hasn't given up on them. And so if you feel so led, if you want to do battle, if you want to take ground, I want to encourage you, wherever you're listening from or watching from today, would you pray these words after me? So Heavenly Father, I bow before you. I cover myself, my spouse, my children, 
with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I completely surrender myself and my family to you in every area of our lives. And I yield our rights, our will, our control to you as living sacrifices. I choose to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I pray that you will show us your will and enable us to walk in it today. Now let me pray over you. Father, I pray on these, your kids who have just surrendered their will, their rights, their emotions, their control, everything that belongs to them and is under their domain. I pray, Father, today on each of them, you would place the helmet of salvation. I pray, Father, you would put it on their heads, knowing that salvation comes from you and you alone. I pray, Father, that you would put it on their heads and protect all of the thoughts. I pray, Father, you would teach them to take captive every thought that comes into their uh, mind, and and they would take it captive and evaluate it. They They would renew their mind with the truth of Scripture, not believing every thought that comes into their head. Father, I pray on each of them today that you would put the breastplate of righteousness. I pray, Father, that you would protect their hearts. You would protect their feelings. They they matter to you. Their feelings matter to you. I thank you, God, that we serve a God who cares about every feeling every one of your kids have ever had. But, Father, I thank you that the truth is not every feeling is accurate and that we need to evaluate it. We need to study it. We need to renew it to the truth of Scripture. Father, I pray, thanking you that we don't have righteousness of our own, but we get to be riveted into your righteousness and wear it over our chest proudly. Father, I pray over every one of these, your kids, that you would wrap around their waist the belt of truth. Father, I pray that we would be a church filled with children who chase the truth, who run after the truth, who run away from lies, who distinguish the difference between truth and lies, who distinguish the difference between deception and and, and total truth. And Father, today I pray that you on each of their feet would place the shoes of the gospel of peace and preparation. I pray we would be a church, not just a congregation, not just a crowd. We we would be the church running to share the gospel with those who need it, prepared, equipped, and steady on our feet to share the gospel with every man, woman, boy, and girl we come in contact with. Father, I pray that we would reach into our neighborhoods, our kids' schools, our places of employment. Everywhere we go, we go as bearers of the light and the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the light wins, the darkness doesn't. Father, I pray on each of these, your children, the shield of faith. I pray for a tremendous gift of faith. I pray you would drop on them faith bigger than any faith they've ever had before. Faith to believe you, faith to trust you, faith to ask you for things they never thought they could ask for. Father, I pray that they would ask, seek, and knock. And and with great faith, you would meet the needs of their lives and beyond the needs. 
to trust you to win the battle day by day in their lives. And Father, I pray in and on each of these men, women, boys, and girls, the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. I pray, Father, your kids would begin to take seriously meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, studying the Word. Father, you, you, you use Word that you put in me years ago on a daily basis. Father, I thank you that, that when we are confident and, and we will study and we will embrace your Word, that you will bear fruit in our lives with it at another day. Father, help us not to be so arrogant that we believe we're memorizing for today's battle, but that we are memorizing. We are memorizing in faith, knowing that one day a battle will come where we will need it. And you will call it to our memory. You will will call it to our mind. You will call it out of our hearts. And it will be the very sword we need on that day. And so, Father, I pray this church would rise up. I pray, Father, that you would extend the tent pegs, the, the, the pegs of influence. You would extend believers who walk with you in faith beyond everything that we've ever asked, sought, or imagined. Kicking back the darkness and its kingdom in our city, in our nation, and around this world. And prophetically, I, I, I believe this to be true today. In the humble name, we come asking Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you give him glory and honor? tonight in our church.